Mystery so bright. The God we worship is clothed in mystery. He reveals and he conceals. He invites and he hides. He confounds and he confides. The God who rests but never sleeps. Who thunders and whispers. Terrifies and befriends. Whose anger lasts only a moment. But whose favor lasts a lifetime. Who is all-consuming yet kind. All-knowing yet capable of forgetting the sins he forgives. The God who wounds and binds up, who injures and who heals. The king whose footstool is the earth, yet humbly washed the earth from the feet of those he discipled. Who reigns in righteousness, yet carried our shamefulness. Who called in the garden of Eden in the cool of the day, yet Sweated drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, one agonizing night. The God of the smaller detail and the grandest design, who issued ornate designs from an extravagant temple, yet found pleasure in the humblest offering. Of a widow's two tiny coins there, the suffering servant, the sinless friend of sinners, the savior who hung in agony on beams of wood. He himself had called into being. He is fearsome yet welcoming, unfathomable yet knowable, the God of kings and beggars, presidents, paupers, who fathers the fatherless and works through their weaknesses, burning with holiness yet refreshingly graceful. Who is worshipped by the multitudes of heaven, yet rejoices over a single returning heart? Perfect in every way, yet able to help those who are being tempted. He who is faithful even to the faithless, for he cannot disown himself. This is the God we worship, the God of all mystery. These days, there's little mystery to life. Internet searches and tries to convince us. We can now know anything and everything at the mere touch of a button. Reality television shows invite us to get up close and personal with otherwise veiled aspects of an individual's life. And at the other end of the spectrum, many scientists strive to explain away God and kick mystery out of the whole equation. Sometimes I wonder we're in danger of kicking mystery out of worship, too. I've been a lead worshiper for a while now. Half of my life, in fact, and for the last 10 years, I've also been trying to write congregational songs. The more I journey in this pursuit, the more I look for ways to paint a bigger and more mysterious picture of God. So... Often I feel I'm doing the worship the equivalent of taking holiday snapshots on a disposable camera. The pictures are full of joy and intimacy. A good thing, I think, but lack depth and mystery. I long to find fresh and meaningful ways to respond to the mysterious mysteries of our God. Many lead worshipers I meet are on the very same quest. My friend David Crowder says, I want to build cathedrals. 
I want to use words and notes rather than stone and mortar. The challenge to those of us involved in leading others in worship to write songs and build worship services that reflect majesty and mystery. I once heard a theologian um, N.T. Wright com commit that our English cathedrals are visual statements of the grandeur of God. If you ever entered one, you know exactly we, what he means. The grand architecture, the detailed craftsmanship, and the sheer vastness of building point to a God who cannot be fathomed or explained. Crowder goes on to say, here they built to resize you upon entrance. They force your gaze upwards. They surrounded you with beauty. Oh, for more songs and services that do the same. Litigers that resize us. Lyrics that force our gaze upward and inspired melodies that surround us with splendor. Telling of the beauty of his holiness. I once visited the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, France. As I entered the building, someone was blasting out a huge, great anthem on a pipe organ, using some of the scariest chords I've ever heard in my life. The impact was amazing. I'm no expert on pipe organs in worship, but one thing I do know, when you get one of those things going full speed ahead, they resonate with an amazing sense of wonder and grandeur. And the music that they painted a picture of a God who is mightily mysterious and mysteriously mighty. Whether it uses organs or guitars, choirs or drums, the church today needs songs and sounds that echo the Almighty. Each time we gather together as worshiping community, we must find ways to reflect these aspects of the nature and character of God. The songs are one thing, but it goes away beyond music. It's our whole approach. Are we preparing our heart for a divine encounter? Too often I'm guilty of a rushed prayer with worship band and a business-usual mindset, but God does not delight in fast food spirituality. This is a spiritual occasion which must be marked by mystery and wonder. And you cannot rush into wonder. In the Old Testament, as the police entered the tabernacle to worship, they were given a very strong sense of what kind of God they were approaching. The whole design of this tent of meeting was to give some very strong signals to the people as to whom they were worshiping and how they should worship. The tabernacle spoke of a holy God with an intense desire to dwell among his people. The white tinted walls spoke of his purity. The ornately embroidered wall hangings spoke of the beauty of God. The very layout itself with restricted access into the Holy Holies spoke of mystery of mercy, triumphing over, spoke of God as consuming fire who must be worshipped acceptably with reverence and awe. The brazen altar conveyed the essential ingredient of sacrifice. In worship, and the bronze lave told of the need for people to purify their hearts before approaching. Everything about the tabernacle prepared the people's hearts for reverent worship. Today we live under a new freedom, 
God is as holy as he ever was, yet through the perfect sacrifice of his only son. We now enjoy the covenant privilege of a close encounter with the Father. So to merely recreate the tabernacle each Sunday would not be the most appropriate approach. Having said that, there is much we can glean from his approach for our congregation worship today. Just as the tent of meeting prepared people for the worship of God, do our meetings today help people get their hearts ready to bring a meaningful offering? Does our worship make it obvious what sort of God we're approaching and how we should respond to him? Do we convey the need to come with a pure heart in light of God's holiness? Do our songs and services encourage people to draw near with reverence and awe? And are there ways we can communicate the beauty of God to those preparing to worship? As Marma G.A.J. Downs sums it up, the question is whether our worship services immerse us in God's splendor. If you take just one half of a mystery, it's no longer a mystery. John Piper preaches God meets us in high and holy ways. He meets us in lowly and meek ways. He meets us in thunderously glorious ways. He meets us in quiet, intimate ways. He meets us in complex ways, in simple ways, furious ways, and merciful ways. Notice how many of his observations revolve around opposites. So often, paradox is a getaway to mystery and wonder and worship. If you take just one half of the mystery, it's no longer a mystery. As Jurgen Moltmann says, it's only in relation to the wrath of God that we know the mercy of God. In other words, we cannot fully appreciate mercy until we recognize wrath. There are so many paradoxes found in the truths of Scripture in each of these beautiful tensions, and it's an essential ingredient for the mysterious worship. Of these paradoxes, the greatest mystery of all is the cross. In fact, at Calvary, we find many mysteries. The mystery of Jesus, fully God, yet fully man. The mystery of a mercy triumphing over judgment. At the cross, we consider both the kindness and the sternness of God, or as Luther puts it, holiness and love kiss in the cross. Isaac Watts in his hymn, When I Survey, gets to grips with some of the paradoxes found in Calvary. The place where love and sorrow meet, the place where thorns compose so rich a crown, the place where we count out richest gain as lost. Even though opening line itself is a full of mystery, the wondrous cross for how can instrument of execution be described as wonderful. Another important mystery to embrace is the imminence and transcendence of God. In his imminence, God draws close to us and gets involved in our lives. In his transcendence, he is altogether otherly and self-sufficient. But for the mystery to fully ignite, we need both of these elements held together in a beautiful tension. He is the God of the infinite and the intimate. We could watch him from afar and forever and be amazed, yet in his kindness, God has drawn us near to himself. Here the wonder is greater still, as theologians Stanley Grins and Roger Olson explain. God is eminent within human experience as the transcendent mystery that cannot be comprehended in spite of its absolute nearness. In other words, when we truly draw near to God, our sense of his greatness and might will always be heightened, never diminished. 
Any sort of worship that esteems drawing near to God yet somehow portrays him as merely a tame and cuddly friend perhaps isn't quite as near to him as we like to think. As A.W. Towser puts it, no one who knows him intimately can ever be flippant in his presence. If we look through scripture, both the Old and the New Testament will find worshipers overwhelmed to the core in the intimate yet fiery presence of a holy God. As we journey near him in worship, our heart of reverence for God will beat stronger and faster than ever. Up close and personal yet, but also up close and unfathomable. As William Barclay points out, even in his incredible new covenant times when we may draw near to God, the New Testament is never in slightest danger of sentimentalizing the idea of God. The question is, are we? Are we? There he is, the mysteries so bright. Mysteries so bright. So there we have it. Enjoy your day, and I'll talk to you later.